want to greet each one in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to see everyone here. Glad to have our visitors with us here this morning. It's just been uh, good to um, feel the focus on Christ this morning um, in our devotional Sunday school class. Uh, I've just really enjoyed that. Song came to mind. Uh, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I want to sing your praises. And also the song, He is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. Um, you know, that's those are thoughts that should be going through our minds. Adoration of Christ. This morning I'd like to speak on mustard seed conversion. Um, and I want to focus on not just the new birth, but also the ongoing conversion of, of uh, our lives into, into becoming more like Christ. So open your Bibles with me, if you would, to John 3. This is a very familiar passage, one of the more familiar passages. Um, when you think about being born again, uh, your mind would probably go to this passage. I'd like to read these verses again here. Here we have a Pharisee, his name is Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except that God be with him. So here's a, a rabbi, his name is Nicodemus, and he has questions that would be very similar to ours. You know, we've seen you doing these miracles and we know that that this just couldn't be being done except that God's with him and, and uh, he wants to know more. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can this be? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and then be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh. And whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. <clears throat> Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? Are you a master of Israel, a teacher, a rabbi in Israel? You don't know these things? You know, if Nicodemus didn't know these things, I'm not sure how we, as not rabbis, not having been instructed in Israeli or Judaism uh, from our youth up, how we should know them. And I actually you know, pondered that a while. How could Jesus ask him this question? Are you a ruler of Israel, a rabbi, a teacher, and don't know these things? And yet there was enough disclosure in the Old Testament that Nicodemus should have had a good idea about these things. And uh, maybe in verse 21, I don't want to go into that so much, but in verse 21, it says, He that doeth, Jesus is speaking here, doeth, he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, 
that his deeds may be manifest that they are wrought in God. Um, so it seems like the tenor of the Scripture, the tenor of God's work in man's life um, through the lives of the, the, the Abraham seed had been about doing the truth or, or people following the truth they had and coming to that light. But so many had turned from that light, had turned away from it. So maybe that, maybe that disclosure that God had given man up to this point was that you know, the light that had appeared uh, from the time, from the beginning of time forwards. But of course, now we have this, this great, wonderful, magnificent light of Christ that also shines in and Nicodemus sees it. And, uh, you know, in, in, in comparison to uh, the light of Christ there amongst man incarnate in the flesh, uh, all the light from the Old Testament from uh, Adam forward maybe seemed fairly insignificant, but it wasn't. Anyways, I want to leave that where it's at. Um, going on to the ongoing conversion that we should be experiencing, that's what I'd like to focus on. The new birth is so important. Without our committing, giving our lives to Christ, um, without us taking that sacrifice, that provisional sacrifice into our lives of Christ and applying it to ourselves and realizing what Christ did for us and, and without a repentance of our, on our part of our own selves, uh, there can't be a new birth. There can't be a conversion, initial being born again. But this is an ongoing process, I believe. And that doesn't complete until we see God, until our lives here in this end, here on this earth are, are come to an end and, and we're in the presence of, of the holiness of Christ in eternity, for eternity. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's talking about an ongoing process of sanctification. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. Whole spirit, soul, and body. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, not a dead, but a living sacrifice. When they killed the lambs, they put them on the altar, they were dead. Uh, we come to Christ a living, alive sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I th again, thinking of that conversion, transformation, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I believe our Lord looks for fruit from His vineyard. Um, there's a parable of the barren fig tree in Luke 13.6. Jesus speaking here. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? Why does it take up space? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then... Thou shalt cut it down. Those plants in the kingdom of Christ 
are called to bear fruit. That's you and I. We're called to bear, bear fruit. We're called to convert our blessings and our life experiences into fruit. And this could seem feel like a, you know, sort of a pull yourself up by your bootstraps thought, but it's it's not. It's been a subject, it's, it's a subject that's been on my mind for some time. You know, what and it's very personal. What am I doing to convert the blessings, all these blessings that have come into my life? What am I doing to convert those into fruit? Um, how can I, you know, be partaker with Christ in in uh, in His kingdom? Um, the subject surfaced some time ago when Clayton and I were having a conversation. We were talking about um, some advertising, and uh, he was doing. He, he he was doing the pictures and the content on the website and and um, I was seeing some time rack up and wanted him to be doing other things. Of course, I wanted that done and I wanted it done right. And um, it seemed like you know he just kept on tweaking things and that's not you know unusual in any field. He wanted things to he wanted the pictures to look well, the content to look well, but I was watching the bottom line, you know, and I didn't want the advertising to spike and so. Um, we're both, you know, had, we had this little tension going here. Um, he wanted a good product, and uh, you know, I wanted a a, a conversion that uh, of his time into product that would convert and bring more uh, attention to our website in, and uh, but at a you know a lower price, less investment. And um, yeah, this might seem a little bit uh, basic, but you know. How does that work out in our own lives? You know, if I was, I, this thought just came to my mind, how would Christ be looking at my life? How, what would He say to me if, if He saw, if uh, speaking to my life about the conversion that I'm doing for His kingdom? And conversion is such an important ingredient in any business, in any venture uh, that people are involved in. The logger converts uh, trees in a, into sorts of units that the sawmill can handle, for example. And the sawmill, he then turns it into, converts those into units that are good for end products, two by fours and, you know, so forth. Um, and to be successful in business or in any other venture, like I said, we have to convert things. The mother's milk needs to convert to, to weight gain in the baby or there's going to be concern and consternation on the mother's part. And here's just some interesting tidbits from the Economist um, talking about uh, about uh, conversion in cattle uh, and in animals and other animals. Um, environmentalists talking about environmentalists, um, they don't like meat. It says it's not just or even mainly that some will not eat meat on moral grounds. Rather, Greens say meat has be has a big environmental hoofprint. It takes much more grain, land, and water to fatten an animal to produce a pound of meat than it does to grow the same number of calories in the form of grain that is safe, that is eaten directly as, as in bread. The results confirm that efficiency in livestock varies hugely. Chickens and pigs convert into meat at rates of two to three to one. Two to three kilos or two to three pounds of feed to one of uh, meat. Whereas a lamb or a beef 
is maybe four to six to one and uh, can go as high as 20 to one. Then it talks about dry matter. It says in American Europe, there needs to be about 75 to 100 to one. Well, actually 75 to 300 to one on, for dry matter for hay. And in poorer countries such in Africa, Somalia, Ethiopia, Sudan, and so forth, uh, it may need up to 2,000 to one to produce uh, one, you know, 2,000 parts of hay or dry matter to produce one uh, pound of protein or meat. You would say that's kind of a poor conversion. And I'm afraid sometimes that's maybe what God is seeing in me. Um, and so I'd like to just think about that a little bit. How are we participating with Christ in His kingdom? Are we converting? Um, and how do, how would that, what would that look like? You know, finding an, an accurate metric for this could be confusing or difficult. So if I would say, well, right here's you know, the mathematics of this. You enter this number, this number, you know, how, much, how many good benefits and blessings you've got from the Lord. Enter here. Enter here, you know, um, when you became a Christian. Enter here, you know, so and so forth. And, and then look and what have you done and so and so forth. And that's you know, your conversion rate. Um, that would be very confusing and I don't think Christ ever wanted us to go there. Um, there are two New Testament accounts that come to my mind when I think of this. One is Paul saying that he has planted and Apollos has watered, but it's God who gives the increase. Never lose sight of who gives the increase, who blesses ultimately. And then we have Paul and Silas in prison in bonds. And there they by God's grace converted a very trying and, and depressing situation into one of worship, triumph, and beauty. Um, you know, the, there was an earthquake. The jailer became saved. The people around them, the fellow prisoners became saved. There were baptisms. Um, God's name was glorified there. There was a, a beautiful conversion happened there of a, a trying situation into one that really you know, in an outstanding way brought glory to God and encouragement, I'm sure, to the church and to Paul and Silas. You know, when we praise God, when we continue to worship God, even in very trying situations, when we intentionally worship Him, uh, good things do happen. Let's not expect earthquakes and so forth, but good things do happen. And um, God does bring about, um, He converts our obedience. Well, it's, it's hard to, to exactly quantify this, but through our obedience, He can convert um, very trying times into something that uh, is beautiful and fruitful. It's God who works out the conversion and fruit in our lives. It's we who choose to obey. If we don't obey, uh, conversion really can't take place. So there we have a key role to play is that thing of obedience. Practically speaking, not converting is a waste. You know, loss of potential is a waste. Um, being a builder, when I see a truck full of lumber going down the road, um, I think of, you know, a structure going up. 
I can see, you know, maybe someone calling for their uh, for their roofing uh, uh, structure or, or for walls and floor or whatever. You know, I can look at the truck and kind of tell where that that truck's probably going, what it's intended for. Uh, one thing I'm sure of when I see a truck like that going down the road with with different lengths of lumber on it and plywood and whatever, that it's not headed somewhere for firewood, right? You know, it's went, that lumber has went through way too many conversions to be sent to someone's home to be used for firewood. Um, <clears throat> there's an important plan for that lumber. There's a lot of value there. You know, what if you had a scenario like this where a, a client called a builder and said, I want a house built. And the builder would, you know, get together the numbers and they would get a plan and they would go ahead and call the, you know, get a permit and so forth, and then call the lumber out. And let's say something happened, negligence or misunderstanding or who knows what, and the lumber would just sit there for several years. Um, that lumber that, you know, could have been very useful in several years in the rain and weather and snow and so forth would turn probably into uh, something very other. Uh, there would be a sort of you know reversion in, instead of a conversion that was intended for it to take place. Instead of a structure going up, there would be a huge loss there. That's a loss of potential. So, not converting is a waste. God is interested in us converting and turning good things into, or turning in our, our life's experiences, what He permits and what He brings into our lives into good things for His kingdom. We have the mustard seed scripture in Luke 13, 18. It says, and Jesus speaking here, says, Unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It's like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and cast into the garden, and it grew and waxed into a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Now here we have this amazing conversion of a, of a tiny seed, uh, a seed about the size of a pinhead. Um, and what's amazing about it is not maybe how tiny it is, but that there's life inside of that tiny little thing. Um, and this teensy tiny little seed is, is life, and it's going to respond to good, you know, good uh, soil or and and moisture, and it's going to come forth. Something's going to come out of it. That's that's a, that's amazing. And really, that's what you know we're being likened to is just a little mustard seed, this seed of of God that's in our hearts, being able to come forward. Now, think about this as uh, this little mustard seed. Let's just think about it for a little bit. What if you know that little mustard seed? What if that little that tree there, that you know that seed that brought up that tree, or where that tree came from, would have said, you know. I'm a special little seed and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to convert into something different. I, I, I fell off the tree first or I uh, stayed on the tree the longest or I'm a little bigger than the rest or I'm a little smaller than the rest and I just, you know, I just am not going to convert. I'm a mustard seed, okay? 
You know, how silly that would be. That's not its life's purpose. Its life's purpose is to be able to go into the soil, meet the right conditions, and, and, and there's going to, you know, a little mustard seed's going to break apart, and out of it will come life and a tree. <clears throat> you know, for the mustard seed farmer, we want to know that that mustard seed has life in it. Will it convert? Will it bring up a tree that will convert, that will make more seeds? Um, will it go into something that God has designed it to go into? And yet, when we really think about it, you know, if we didn't know better, most of us know about soil, we know about seeds. A lot of us plant gardens, at least small gardens, and we know how that, you know, that little miracle of a seed. And that's, I think, one of the funnest things about gardening. It's not so much, you know, any other part, the harvesting or so forth. But I think the funnest thing for me is just, you know, planting the seeds and then seeing that they come up. That's just, it's just a miracle. And uh, you plant a corn, a kernel of corn, and it doesn't even surprise you. It comes up. You know, what happens? It's somewhat of a mystery. And now I'm sure if you're a biologist, you would understand all of that. But, uh, and it converts, you know, it grows, it converts into, it, into a stalk that, that makes, you know, lots more kernels of corn that have the potential of exponentially, you know, um, reproducing and so forth. <clears throat> well, here we have this, you know, this tree, and it says it was a great um, mustard tree. I don't know uh, how great a great mustard tree is. I know mustard trees aren't that tall. I don't think that one was either. But evidently it was an outstanding mustard tree. Um, and he's telling them if they have... That, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a little, tiny little seed that moves into something that really has lots of potential for, for good and for uh, reproducing converting. But first of all, there again, that little seed had to die. It had to so its shell had to soften. It had to yield to new life. And so too, we must die. We must soften. We must yield to new life. We must convert. We must be willing to do that. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That speaks of us giving up ourselves, our own identities, and becoming a Christ identity. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if, there's the if there, we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Somehow I can't, I've preached this sermon before. Um, I didn't have this account here because it hadn't happened yet. But I can't, uh, I can't just this account of the North Korean escaping here recently just, uh, just sticks to me and somehow it should fit right here somewhere. And I had to think of it like this. You know, if we, we all have... I don't know about you, but, but that escape of the North Korean here recently really uh, riveted my attention. And uh, I had read, uh, there was a book, Camp 14, I think it's Camp 14, Escape from Camp 14, that I read some time ago. And most of us just realize how horrible uh, life is for so many people in North Korea. 
And so here we have this account, you know, here recently of this soldier driving to the border and then uh, risking life, um, basically everything. We don't know what all he risked. Maybe his family's torture, whatever, um, to get across to, to freedom, to South Korea. Um, and and there's, there seems to be a similarity there. There there's needs to be, when we talk about being born again, you know, it's a, it is, it's a phrase that comes so easily to us. But when we really think about the, uh, being born, it's not an easy matter. Um, for all of you that have had children or have been fathers um, or fathers and have gone, um, you know, through the birth experience with your wife, or maybe you're the mother that's gone through the birthing experience, which I understand is much more difficult. Uh, but anyways, you know that, that giving birth is not an easy matter. And um, I think that we maybe go over that too easily. It is a, it is a very difficult thing. Uh, when, when, uh, in Psalm 23, when it talks about the valley of the shadow of death, um, many times that's been likened to uh, the, the giving of birth. And... Uh, So, you know, let's not let's not trivialize. Not let's not uh, trivialize. Probably is not the right word. Minimize the the um, real sorrow and and uh, um, difficulty of of uh, the new birth. It it is um, it's not it's not something that um, just you know takes place easily and everything's, you know, a new life is into the world. Usually there's a lot of, uh, of um, a lot of, of stress and so forth that goes through there. And even in, the, you know, days gone by, it was even at the, at the point of death for the, for the mother giving birth to the point of death. Um, here we have this soldier getting to the other side. He's all shot up. You know, more recently, he's all shot up. And there are lots of things uh, wrong with him. One is, is that he's full of parasites. And I just had to think how many of us have come to Christ and, you know, we're kind of like that soldier. We're all shot up and we're full of parasites. And not just that, but we have um, trauma. We have um, psychological issues and so forth uh, that need to be worked with, mental issues, because... Uh, the devil doesn't treat his subjects kindly. And, uh, you know, it takes time. It takes time to grow into the kingdom of God and to, and to become one with Christ. And it can take maybe our whole lifetime. But that's what we're called to do is become more like Christ. And as we do, we'll become more healed. We'll become more whole. We'll become more fruitful and productive. <clears throat> Jesus is here in the talking to his disciples, and uh, this little child. I see him on the outskirts, and Jesus calls him and sets him in the midst of his disciples. Matthew eighteen, verse three. He says, "Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven." Whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus instructed his disciples that the key to heaven was humility and conversion into his image. This is the key to heaven. It's, it's humility and conversion to his image. Um, not contriving in some way our own greatness. And we heard that about that this morning out of Colossians 2 in our Sunday school lesson. You know, I think that our conversion should probably probably be less on the focus on crucifying and more on the focus of discipling, discipling ourselves after Christ. I remember, remember my mother telling me this when I was small. She's here with us this morning. Uh, when we didn't want to do something and she wanted us to do it, she, and we'd say, you know, do we have to? Do I have to do this? And she'd come up with this, I thought was a cliche answer. She'd say, you don't have to if you want to. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of truth in that statement. We don't have to if we want to. If we're, you know, if our focus is on the crucifying, uh, maybe we'll not really understand the joy of the Lord, the joy of being a Christian like we should. And it'll become too much of a discipline-based Christianity. But if, it's, if our focus is on becoming more like the Master, more like that little child that was in the midst of them, and I'm sure was saying, you know, Jesus, that, that's who I want to be like when I get big. Um, and we, we have that kind of humility. We'll be willing, there'll be a want-to on our part to, to become more like Him, and that will mean giving up things. That will mean putting to death those things in our own lives that, that uh, aren't beneficial to, to being in the kingdom. But there'll be a joy about it. There'll be a gladness in serving our Master. It's just the truth that we're, we're, we are willing to sacrifice for what we truly deem important. When I was dating my girlfriend, who is of course thankfully now my lovely bride, and whom I continue to date, I made some real adjustments to make sure our romance would progress into real commitment. You know, I was serious about converting her from my girlfriend into my bride or life companion. Those adjustments were fairly major. And really, when I look back at it, they were a sacrifice. But I didn't think of those adjustments as a sacrifice for my love for her, right? Jacob didn't think that seven years was too big of a deal for Rachel's hand. Um, and I'm sure you'd have your own stories to share in different ways about how you've made adjustments that were really sacrifices, but that you did gladly for a goal in mind. You know, maybe if we really get a good glimpse of our potential in being one with Christ, our want to will take away the sting of sacrifice needed in needing to give up our own little selves, our own little mustard seed shells. Um, Jesus does say my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think that must have something to do with it. Having that really good glimpse of being one with Christ and living that. Well, the mustard seed, he grew into be a big mustard tree. A small 
but big tree, big in his own right, fruitful little tree, a tree bearing more of its own fruit and thereby being a blessing to the fowls and to mankind just in its being, being a fruitful herb, being a nesting place of refuge, all because it became what it was meant to be. Not trying to be unusual, not trying to be something super seed or superhuman, if we want to make that cross that divide there. Only being what God intended for it to be and growing where God had planted it. And I think there's so much for us to learn here. We sing the little song, or you probably sang it, I want to be a missionary and sail across the seas. That's all fine and that's all noble enough and wonderful enough. However, we can do nothing greater than simply serving Christ where and how He would have us serve Him. And I truly believe that. We can't be do more than that. When we get the, the above concept really in our minds, we'll neither feel left out or feel inferior when life doesn't handle, hand us the prominent roles. We won't feel left out or feel inferior when life doesn't give us the the prominent roles. Neither will we feel important or lifted up if life does hand us unusual roles. There's just a wonderful sense that comes from joyfully serving Christ from our sense of being. He has saved us. He has bought us. He has washed us. We're His child. We're in His kingdom. Uh, we're, he's our last name, right? You know, we're just, we're just being. What we're doing has His approval and is for His purpose. And this doesn't give us the right to be lazy or nonchalant. Being born into the family of Christ doesn't mean that our quest for life's calling is over. You know, we're done. We're, we don't have to... We don't... We just can sit back in the easy chair. We now have... You know, our last name is Christian and so we can sit back in the easy chair and ride on to heaven. Okay? That's not what, what Christ had in mind. Rather, it means that we found our purpose for living... And in that purpose, we devote our whole being. In devoting our whole being to the purpose of conversion to Christ, we'll find our calling, I believe. Our individual calling. And in that calling, we'll find our divine fulfillment. There's a little song that says, I would be poured out as wine upon the altar for you. I would be broken as bread to feed the hungry. I would be so one with you that I would do just as you would to learn to love and love to learn thy perfect will. You know, it's a song that we sing so easily. But do we really get it? Do we really get the meaning of being poured out as wine and broken as bread? Do we really get the meaning of being so one with Christ that we would do just as He would? And it takes a lot of grapes being crushed and juice, you know, blending of juice. Um, it takes a lot of grains being crushed and blended together to make bread. Would we will to do that? So moving then from converted to being converters for Christ, we really have to be converted. We really have to experience the conversion to be able to be converters, right? We just can't move, you know, we can't just jump from one place to the next. We can't jump from being unsaved to being converters for Christ. Now that doesn't mean that the moment that we're converted for Christ, we can't become start becoming converter. But it does mean that we must, you know, there has to be that repentance. There has to be that going through the valley, 
the repentance, the giving up of ourselves, our own identity, and becoming part of the identity of Christ. And then moving on to that, to being converters for Christ. We have to realize, humbly realize, that we're just minuscule little mustard seeds at best. You know, maybe better said we were wild grape seeds, like Paul talks about, that were pretty much useless in a nuisance, um, but that have been by the grace of God grafted into his holy vine. 1 Peter 2.10 says this, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We didn't have mercy, but now we do. We weren't the people of God, but now we are. And we can be converters even while we're being converted. Praise the Lord. Um, I met a man at a uh, paint store. And um, I noticed that this young man was tattooed all over. And they weren't, you know, I, I couldn't tell exactly, but it didn't look like, you know, the, the, uh, the connotations were good. But then I noticed something else and just it seemed like a real conflict there. His testimony, just the way he looked at me and the way he talked to me and, and his expression just had a Christ-likeness about it. I mean, it was his face was open and his eyes were clear and, and, and something didn't make sense. It seemed like a conflict there between his tattoos and, and his expression. And, and then one day as I noticed, as I was picking up some supplies, I noticed that... Uh, on the side of his arm was, was a prominently displayed a, a Romans passage. And somewhere else was displayed another passage. And uh, I said, you know, I said, I, I'm seeing, I, I told him, I said, I'm seeing Bible verses in your arm. I said, what, can you tell me something about that? And he just launched into a testimony how he had been living a life of sin depravity and how he had turned his life over to Christ and now he has all these tattoos to deal with. He said more than that, you know, all these experiences in his life to deal with. But he says he's just so glad to be free and he didn't know how to deal with all these tattoos but he knew that he could at least put on a, a uh, testimony for Christ and so he wrote these verses in that meant so much to him. And, uh, you know, that was a real blessing to talk to him that day and uh, to talk to him since. So he's converting, even in the middle, midst of his conversion. And that's where we're all at. There's something about sharing our excitement and commitment for Christ to others that has a way of further converting our own selves into the image of Christ. And Romans 10 talks about that. It says, If you, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I think this is a natural expression of the Christ child. If Christ is our hero, we'll no doubt want others to know about him. If Christ is the only hope, and these are the ifs, the prerequisites. If Christ is the only hope, and he is, from the punishment of eternity in hell, you know, our love for our fellow men will compel us to be open about our faith. If the combined work of Christ's love for us and willingness on our part to humble ourselves to His Lordship has really broken the fetters of that little shell and opened us up to Christ's purpose for our lives, I believe we'll be 
eager to humbly show our fallen fellow brethren to our Master. We come as little children to Christ, not big Pharisees, Sadducees, or know-it-all sees. We come as children wanting to learn, wanting to be like Jesus when we get big. And this means filling our lives with the influence of Jesus. This means spending time with Jesus. This means intentionally focusing our thoughts on Jesus instead of on ourselves. And I put beside behind this, huh? You know, we get we tend to get so full of ourselves. Um, at least I know that's that's uh, I think a, a pretty universal experience. This means we'll ask ourselves questions such as, what would Jesus have me to do in this situation? How would Jesus have me to respond to this opportunity? How can I, be, how can I show Jesus in this trying situation? You know, are my responses bringing a sweet-smelling savor to the noses of those around me? Or are they, are they uh, you know, bringing out a stink of death and decay like 1 Corinthians talks about. What, you know, when I become crushed, when I become pinched, what smell comes out of me? Converters need to develop their love for the body of Christ. The evidence of our being disciples of Christ is proclaimed by our love for Christ's children. And that's found in John 13, 34. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. We strive for the health of the body of Christ we're involved with. You know, that body of Christ that we're placed in, that we're working in, we strive for it. 1 Corinthians 12.25 says, There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And 1 Corinthians 12.26, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. According to the, these Scriptures, the dynamic outworking of our love for each other in the body of Christ is not only the strongest indicator of our own conversion, but also a divinely powerful witness to those sensing, those outside sensing their need for a conversion. We develop a household of faith identity with our fellow believers. Galatians 6.10 talks about this. As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I believe these are ties that reflect what Jesus said in Luke 14.26. He said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We develop that household of faith identity, that strong identity with our fellow believers. And we also, if we're going to be converters, need to develop our faith. Uh, Again, talking about the mustard seed. Jesus says, "If, if ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye might have said unto the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. I'm out of time here, so I'm going to move through. Um, we do need faith. There are satanic strongholds that we will, fa- we will face. 
Mark 17, 21, uh, Jesus talks about the, the lunatic son and why the disciples weren't able to work with him. And he says, this kind of, this kind of uh, evil doesn't go out by, by prayer and fasting or this kind of disease doesn't go out by prayer and fasting. There are those kinds of things. We need to pray. We need to fast. We need to find our way closer to our Savior. But there's also this sinful nature we battle with that's no less a, a, a satanic stronghold. You know, there's unbelief. There's disobedience. There's fear and lust. These things can really create a stronghold in our lives. And we need to really give ourselves to, to knowing our, our Jesus by through prayer, through fasting, through uh, focus on Him. We need to remember that conversion is more, that, come, that the true conversion that comes from Christ is more than a self-betterment. It's more than a band-aid. It's more than a placebo. It's about total transformation. It's about curing those possessed by evil. A state where all either in or have been in. And it's about breaking strongholds. It's about bringing people into the communion of Christ in His body where that the healing bonds of love can minister and be ministered to. A place where obedience to Christ is both demonstrated and expected in, helpful and loving, in a helpful and loving way. So where are we at today? What's our report card like? Are we like Galatians 5.22? The fruits of the Spirit flowing out of our lives Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance are some of those things that shouldn't be there still there. Those things that should have been crucified not haven't been taken care of yet. Darkness um, and so forth that we don't really like to think about. Have we been converted? Are we experiencing conversion? Are those tiny little designs of, of our own, of minor years giving way to Christ's great, big, wonderful purpose for our lives? Are we clinging to our own little shells or are we willing to have been given to give up? You know, they say one thing characteristic of the mustard seed is that it's a very, very strong little seed. They say even a bulldozer running across it won't crack it. Um, I haven't you know, tried that, so I don't know. But anyways, they do say it's very, very strong. And um, I had to think about that. We as humans can be a lot like that. Very, very strong, very resilient, and yet very much without purpose. You know, where are we at? Are we clinging to our shells, making sure they don't get cracked? Purposeless? Or we like like Christ, the power of Christ, crack those and convert us and and grow us into what He wants us to be. He wants us to convert. It's for our best. It's for our good, and it's for His glory. May God bless you.